there seems to be a perception among Christians that Lutherans are somehow against holy living or against good works. And yet in the Catechism we confess that we ask God's name to be holy among us and that this takes place when the Word of God is taught in its truth and purity and we as children of God lead holy lives according to God's Word. God says, be holy, be perfect, as I, the Lord your God, am holy and perfect. But does he really mean it? Stay tuned for Equipping the Saints with Pastors Clint Poppy and Adam Moline. Welcome once again to Equipping the Saints. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Thomas Goodroad. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln. Thanks for tuning in with our Equipping the Saints program. Our goal is to help to equip Christians, the saints, those who have been washed clean in the waters of holy baptism, those who have been given the gift of faith, Good Friday and Easter delivered to them, to help them to know what the holy life is, how God would have them act as children of God, and literally to teach the new life in Christ. We pray that God would bless us. This is episode three. In our first episode, we looked in great detail at Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 16. In episode two, we backed up a couple of chapters and uh, had a great discussion about the distinction, the proper distinction between justification and sanctification. We looked at Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, and one of the things that uh, jumped out at me from that particular episode was how God, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul in Ephesians, uses the word walk what that means, and uh, what that implies as well. And uh, in today's episode, episode three, we're going to be picking up where we left off in episode one. We're going to go back to Ephesians 4. We're going to work our way now, beginning at Ephesians 4, 17, and we're going to work our way all the way through the end of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. In uh, many of our English translations, Ephesians 4.17 starts a new section, and uh, something to the effect of the new life will be a heading that certainly is not part of the inspired, inerrant, infallible scriptures, but I think it gives us a good clue on where we are heading. The new life in Christ Jesus. So Ephesians 4.17, and uh, we're going to be looking specifically now at verses 17 through 24. 17 through 24. Pastor, can you get us caught up a little bit for those that may not have heard or don't remember our discussion from our uh, last episode that um, when we are talking about you used to walk in a particular way, Ephesians 2.1, <coughs> And then in Ephesians 2.10, um, God has ordained for you to walk in good works. Um, when that word walk is used, what does it mean? What does it imply? And what does this have to do with who your teacher is? I thought that was very, very profound. And if you can kind of refresh everybody's memory with that, I think that'll be helpful. 
Yeah, well, the uh, the verb in the Greek that we're talking about here is the verb peripeteo, um, and there's really two ways that uh, you can use this particular verb. One way is uh, using it as a, a prepositional verb. Peri means around, and pateo means walk, and so you're walking around. Um, but in the philosophical realm, it has a slightly different meaning. There's, in fact, an entire branch of uh, philosophy uh, in ancient Greece uh, where peripatetics taught their people by walking around and pointing at things and asking questions. And because of how Paul uses this uh, particular verb um, when he's talking about walking underneath the powers of darkness and the prince of the air um, and all this stuff, it does have this kind of second philosophical meaning that goes with it, um, that you are walking under the authority of a teacher, a leader, somebody who's pointing things out and teaching you how to live. And um, what Paul has said is that uh, before... You walked under the authority as the the teacher of uh, Satan, and now your authority, your teacher, the one you walk around underneath the uh, authority of, is Christ. And so there is this contrast taking place here in that regard. And I think that uh, for me, and I hope for our hearers as well, that walking under the authority of a teacher, that, that word picture that you paint right there, I think is a beautiful, beautiful way to help unpack what we're talking about here in God's Word and specifically in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Vicar, you want to read verses 17 through 24 of Ephesians 4, please. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay, we've got a lot of things to unpack in that section. Verse 17 of Ephesians 4, Pastor. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. First of all, is that walk word the same walk word that we've encountered in Ephesians 2? Uh, it absolutely is. It is, again, the word uh, peripateo, uh, the, the Greek word that means walk around. In fact, then this is in the um, infinitive form, uh, no longer to walk. It's the, uh, the infinitive form of this particular verb. And just in case you think I'm stretching with this, maybe a little bit of history of what uh, Ephesus was would be important. Ephesus is uh, one of the bigger cities of uh, the Roman Empire, and it is an important um, center of learning. Uh, it had a library uh, in Ephesus, and you know the other famous library of the ancient world would be the one that was in Alexandria in Egypt uh, that burned down. There was, uh, I think it's called the Library of Celsus uh, off the top of my head, and the facade of it actually has been rebuilt uh, during modern excavations and periods. So if you go to Ephesus, um, which is near Izmir, Turkey, you can see the facade of this particular library. And so it would be an educated city 
city, a learning city, where there probably would have been these peripatetics uh, walking around and doing learning in the um, uh, the Socratean style, the Platoic style. I don't know if those are words or not, uh, but uh, that's the kind of thing that's taking place. Um, you got a better word, Vicar? Platonic. Platonic. That would work. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I think those are vanishing Nordic terms. I, probably they are. And, uh, <laughs> that, so uh, we won't use those anymore uh, in deference to our uh, vicar. But uh, that's a whole other topic. Socratic. There's the word. Socratic. Hey, I like Socratic that and platonic. I, yeah, I was and, close. And uh, the so- Socratic method is... Uh, in play today in many ways in uh, different teaching styles and that we don't want to we don't need to go down that rabbit hole but um when uh, you must no longer walk as the gentiles do uh is this implying that the gentiles he's referring to are unbelievers is that what we're talking about here pastor yeah, I think it is, and I think that they're also led about, as he talked about earlier, not by um, God, but rather by Satan. Um, now, Satan might be operating in particular ways in the the idea of gaining wealth or authority or power in this world or having um, a a big house or maybe even, you know, in uh, Ephesus, again, we have a temple to Artemis, who is uh, the goddess of chastity and the goddess of the hunt. And so, uh, you know, you see the, um, the statues of Artemis with, uh, she's very well endowed, I think would be the way to say it, with many, many uh, places for suckling uh, on the front there. <laughs> is that the way to say it too? Yeah, let's just keep moving. So, I, I mean, but what it is, is this idea that she's the one who's going to provide for you. Uh, she's the one who is the source of goodness in the city of Ephesus. And this, of course, is what Paul is saying, that no longer uh, is Artemis or this pagan god or the th- pursuits of the world going to be the thing that leads you about this way and that way, but rather now Christ is going to be that. I think I think that's very helpful, Pastor. And the, the great learning that is going on in Ephesus and throughout the area at this time is in reality, according to Ephesians 4.17, futility. Vicar, what can you tell us about that word futility? Um, well, it—it, it, uh, I mean, the basic meaning of it is just that it's useless. You know, it, for example, if you're going to use that word in a sentence, it would be, uh, you know, your efforts to please God by your own works and uh, to earn your own salvation. Those efforts are futile. They're worthless. They're not going to do anything for you. If um, if I am driving down the road heading west on I-80 out of Lincoln. Okay, you got that word picture. And my destination is Chicago, Illinois. All of my driving efforts are futile unless I turn around, unless I take a different route. And I think that's, uh, that's kind of what Paul is saying here is that you think you're getting all this great learning. You think you are really, really gaining. But it's futile because you've got the wrong teacher. And because you've got the wrong teacher, your walk is completely wrong. It's a false walk. Now, we're going to get into what that walk looks like and what that walk leads to. 
Uh, we're not talking about leading to Western Nebraska, but we're talking about this this false path, this callous false. darkness, um, and uh, you know the things that he's going to talk about: sensuality, greed, and whatnot. That's where we're going, and that all leads from being under the wrong teacher, um, even unknowingly. As we as we uh, uh, slip into verse eighteen of Ephesians four. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God. So instead of being really smart and growing in their understanding, their understanding is darkened. Now, Pastor, that word jumps off the page at me because when we think of a time of uh, ignorance or uh, no learning— the uh, the reference is sometimes made to like the dark ages. There's no light of learning going on. These thing these folks think they're in the light. They think they're they're gaining great learning, but all they're doing is growing in their darkness. Now I want you to ponder that and we're going to pick that apart when we come back from our break. This is Equipping the Saints. We're looking at Ephesians chapter 4. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Equipping the Saints. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Thomas Goodroad. We serve the Saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. In this episode three, we are looking at the new life in Christ Jesus. We are contrasting the walk that we used to walk in with the walk that God would have us walk in because of our new teacher. That's the word picture that's brought out in Ephesians 2, and we are looking in this program specifically at Ephesians 4. We began at verse 17. I'm hoping that we'll get through verse 24, but we're going to work our way all the way through that second half of the uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesian Christians over the next several programs. So in verse 17, now this I say to and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They got the wrong teacher. They think they're getting smart. They think their minds are being enlightened. Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God. Pastor, are those two connected? Are they darkened in their understanding because they are alienated from the life of God? Or uh, um, is the darkened understanding um, the same or parallel with being alienated from God? Or is there no distinction there? 
Well, I think he's saying the same thing uh, in multiple ways, and I think the use of the word darkness is important because of the way that it is used in the early church. Think about uh, St. John's Gospel and things like that, um, where the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not understood it. That, again, this word darkness brings that picture about and connects it to, again, following Satan rather than Jesus. And the word alienated, I think, is a word that resounds in that day and time as well, especially for for Christians who are coming out of the Jewish mindset where we are the Jews, we're the chosen people, uh, and to find out that they're actually alienated from God because they aren't following who God actually is, which is the triune God made known and revealed in the personal work of Jesus Christ. And so I think these are important words, and they're teaching different aspects of the same idea, being separated from God. Okay, so maybe maybe that's the way uh, for my simple brain to... to uh comprehend this darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of god because of the ignorance that is in them that darkened alienated and ignorance all three are saying the same thing from a little bit different angle is that fair i think so i think he's uh, hemming in the argument by coming in from multiple directions do end of verse 18 do to the hardness of their heart So because their heart is hard and this new teaching, this teaching from um, the authority of Jesus Christ has not penetrated their hard heart, they have nothing to look forward to except darkness and alienation and ignorance. Is, Is that the flow of thought here in this verse? It is, and again, and this brings up um, uh, memories from other places in Scripture. You remember the apostles are basing their preaching upon the Old Testament, and who in the Old Testament has an obstinately hard heart? Uh, it is, of course, Pharaoh who uh, has all these things that are beating him about the head. Look at the, um, you know, the bloody river. Look at the frogs. Look at the plague of darkness. That one I always just kind of blows my mind, uh, and yet did not say. You know, this God of these Israelites must be real, and I should believe in him and follow him, but instead kept on his persecution. And I think that, again, is the idea that Paul's bringing about with this particular word of obstinate heart, hard heart. The uh, the prophet Jeremiah talks a lot about hard hearts and hearts of stone. And uh, the only way that you can uh, have a heart of stone that is alive is if you get a heart transplant. you got to get a new heart. Uh, Psalm 51, create in me a new heart, a clean heart, O God. Uh, Vicar, when we are talking about the hardness of heart, how can I change my hard heart into a soft, pliable heart that is teachable? How can I do that? Um, I would say that it primarily doesn't really start with you, uh, but the Holy Spirit can make your heart softer rather than Aha. harder. Aha! We got that Holy Spirit again. Yes, okay. this also ties into our discussion from last week as well about um, uh, the Holy Spirit uh, changing you because you were dead in your sins, dead in your trespasses. A dead man can't do anything, uh, but God can do something for a dead man. You and your hardness of heart cannot soften your own heart, but God, uh, the Holy Spirit, can soften your heart. And he does that through the word or through various other means, such as the means of grace. 
Okay, keep that in mind because uh, Vicar's words here are kind of like a preview of a coming attraction in this particular verse. We're looking at Ephesians 4, 17 to 24, the new life in Christ Jesus, walking the Christian walk under the authority of a new teacher. And that new teacher is Christ and his word. So in verse 19 of Ephesians 4, Pastor, the fruit of walking with the wrong teacher does not lead to better living, your best life now, any of that kind of stuff that uh, you know modern people would want to throw out there. They have become callous and have given themselves to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Pastor, why is it that as you, I mean, you're the historian here. Uh, you've, you've got a, a better grasp of ancient history than pretty much anybody I know. Why is it that the Gentile nations, the pagan nations, the, the people groups that are not connected to Christianity in any way, shape, or form, and I'm thinking specifically of the Romans here, where uh, I know that's a, a particular area of study for you. Why is it that it always leads to callous hearts, sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity? Why does it always go in that direction? Well, I think the easy answer is sin. I think the historical answer, looking at it uh, in that regard, is that um, all the things they could possibly ever want, they have. They have uh, conquered the entire Mediterranean basin, right? And every place that they conquered, what they did is they took the money and wealth uh, from that place, and they brought it, and they used it for themselves. They uh, conquered the people, and many of them they brought in as slaves unless they submitted themselves in that location, at which place uh, point they taxed them and, and took the money for themselves. And so they are living high on the hog. Uh, is that the way that um, you were brought up saying it? Absolutely. They're living high on the hog. They have all their needs met, their wildest desires. Um, we think of the excesses, even um, uh, you can go today and you can see some of the palaces that were built. Nero, uh, who would be emperor probably just a little bit after this uh, particular letter is written, he built uh, the golden house that was called that because there was uh, uh, so much gold on the walls of the house that it glistened in the sun. He had a room that uh, constantly turned so that he never had to look out the same direction uh, while he was eating. He had, uh, you know, heated rooms uh, where they were able to use uh, drafts to suck warm air through the floors and walls of rooms so that they would be heated and not too cold. You know, and this is the ancient world, so that's pretty fancy. And so there's no need to care about a god or worry about that because you have everything that you could possibly imagine, and you can't imagine it getting any better than it was. Um, that's kind of the same thing that we have right now that we struggle with, the same uh, issues where, 
you know, any question that we have, we can get the answer from our phone. We are not cold at night because we have heating. We have uh, cars. We can get wherever we want in just a matter of days. Everything is easy for us. And, and as a result of that, we become apathetic and complacent. We really have no need for God oftentimes either. Uh, and I think that's reflected in our own lives. It seems to me, and I, and I agree with everything you're saying, Pastor, it seems to me that when we become a God, unto ourselves we have no need for anybody or anything else you know it's all about me and when this goes to the extreme then me turning myself inward me making myself into my own god then my own sensuality my own lustful desires become the most important thing and every empire whatever you want to look at uh Every uh, powerful nation and uh, even powerful people group. Think about uh, some of the atrocities, sexual atrocities that we've heard about some of the rich and powerful in America here recently. Uh, the uh, Epstein Island and, uh, you know, the, the sex trafficking rings and all this kind of stuff. When, when there are no rules... When there is no authority, when you are king, and uh, it's good to be the king, uh, king at least in your own mind, it seems to me that it always leads to the absolute uh, pinnacle of idolatry, which is sexual perversion and sexual gratification that knows no bars, that knows no limits. Do you, do you, do you think I'm, I'm going way 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 out in left field here pastor i don't think you're going far enough because you're only you're you mean you're limiting it to sexual issues when it's really in every single aspect of your life and so for today we'd say drugs alcohol sex um you know wealth um, ha having the fanciest new things, all of these things that are excesses uh, to the extreme are a result of that callousness of heart and unconcern for God and unconcern for the people God has put into your life. And so I'd say we should take it even further than what you said. And, and uh, you're spot on because at the end of verse 19 of Ephesians 4, it says, greedy to practice every kind of, of impurity. There's no limit there, is there? No, there's not. And so what he's talking about is the same issue that we're facing today. And so the Ephesians, being a uh, big major Roman city, uh, close to the sea, trading port, uh, center of knowledge and wealth, uh, they're, they're really doing the same things that we're dealing with today. And if we think about some of the things that we are greedy to every kind of impurity today, certainly the uh, prolification, that's not the right word I'm looking for, uh, the uh, prolific amount of uh, pornography that is uh, available, the sex trafficking that I've talked about already before, but we have other things too. We have just plain greed for money and power. We have uh, a, an over-reliance on science as if we are in control of viruses and diseases, giving the impression that we can live longer or indefinitely. We are greedy for all of these things to gratify self. And now when we go to verse 20, and we're going to hit that when we come back from our break, but, but 
Extremely important word. Don't change that dial. Equipping the Saints. Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. What God ordains is always good. Welcome back to Equipping the Saints. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Goodroad. We serve the Saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. On this uh, episode three of Equipping the Saints, we are looking at Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. The new life. What is it and how do we live it as Christians? How do we live this new life in Christ? Um, We've worked our way through verses 17, 18, and 19. The uh, word picture that God has given us in Ephesians, starting in Ephesians 2 and now coming out very, very clearly in Ephesians 4, is this word picture of walking. We walk under the authority of a teacher. So the question is, who's your teacher? If you have the wrong teacher, you're going to have the wrong walk. And we have uh, talked about how all these folks in Ephesus and today who think they are enlightened, who think they are on the right path, who think they are gaining in all kinds of power and honor and prestige, they are uh, darkened, alienated, and ignorant. Verse 20, but... And uh, all, all kidding aside, when, whenever you hear that word in Scripture, you, you are to pause because you've been going in a particular direction. And now God says, stop. God says, turn around. Verse 20, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Pastor, when... Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, talks about learning Christ. Now, I think, I think we, we want to connect this back to this walking uh, metaphor, this walking image that we have here. Um, is he saying that Christ is your authoritative teacher and you should listen to him, you should follow him. Is that what Paul is getting at here? Is that the contrast? Um, am I close? Uh, is, it, is it a part of what he's talking about? What are we to do with verse 20 when Paul says, but that is not the way you learned Christ? I think, um, yes, I think that is the thing. And I think the key here is the word, um, the verb again, learned, which in the the Greek here is uh, matheo, which is sim- same it's word. The disciple word. It's the disciple word. Um, and so when he's saying that, it, it's not only the disciple word, but it means learned. So it is a good translation, but it does contrast to what we've been talking about so far. There are those who have a different path, a different teacher, a different 
substance of their life, and that's not who we are as Christians, as belonging to Christ. And so we are set apart and different than everybody else in the world, and we shouldn't look like everybody else in the world. How did this learning take place, Pastor? Well, um, the the learning of Christ, as we see in, in uh, for example, the book of Acts and in the Gospels, always takes place through the Word. Um, the preacher would preach, uh, and the substance of what they talked about and preached was Jesus, uh, and there'd be law that pointed out their sin and gospel that pointed how Christ took care of the sin. And in the preaching of the Word, people learned about Jesus and came to the Christian faith. Uh, Paul writes that in Romans 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, and even lays it out, you know, how can they hear if no one preaches? How can someone preach unless they're sent? This whole process uh, that the church goes through in which God works faith through the Word. In Ephesus, how does uh, the timeline of Paul writing to the church in Ephesus connect with his missionary journeys? Uh, you know, you're the, you're the big guy in the book of Acts. Uh, and uh, this this history is uh, often elusive for the common everyday Christian who sits in the pew. And so had Paul already been to Ephesus? Had he preached in Ephesus? Had he sent other missionaries to Ephesus? Uh, can you fill in some of those gaps that may be in our hearers' minds? Yeah, uh, it's in the early 50s that Paul goes and preaches in um, the city of Ephesus. And we read about that in uh, the book of Acts chapter 19. And and this is part of why I mentioned Artemis before um, and uh, who she was and how she was thought of. Because when he goes there uh, in the city of Ephesus, just to display how wealthy they were, they made silver idols of Artemis of the Ephesians. And uh, so they'd make little tiny statues that you could carry around in your pocket that had Artemis with her uh, buxom body and uh, all of her hunting equipment with her um, so that uh, people could take that home and pray to her. They could stick it in their pocket on a journey and pray to her. And this idea that Artemis would be supplying you um, in her means with all that you needed day in and day out. And uh, when Paul starts to preach and teach about Jesus in the city of Ephesus, um, the silversmiths who made those start a riot. Uh, which is something we're familiar with in our modern society, Uh, they start a riot to try and stop the preaching of Christ because they know that if what Paul is saying is true, they're going to lose out on their silver casting business. And so... um, so this is before he writes the book to Ephesians, and so um, it is kind of a, a timeline in that particular regard. Um, Paul writes the book uh, about 10 years or so afterwards, and it's then going to be a few years, three or four or five years before he's uh, beheaded, and so that kind of gives you a time frame. Now, uh, Paul does send um, uh, different other preachers to the city of Ephesus. We even have in church tradition um, later on that um, St. John, uh, who wrote the Gospel of John and uh, was taking care of the Virgin Mary in the city of Ephesus later on, uh, whether that's true or not, you know, it's church tradition, so it's up in the air. Okay, that's very, very helpful, Pastor. Thank you so much for that. And uh, when, when we're talking about the preaching 
that goes on in the book of Acts. And uh, just in case any of our, our hearers uh, have, have gotten the false impression that uh, Lutherans should be afraid of the book of Acts because somehow it's uh, teaching something that's uh, contrary to word and sacrament ministry or what Lutherans believe, teach, and confess. That's nonsense. That's a fallacy. The uh, preaching of the word of God is paramount in the book of Acts. That's how uh, Christ is proclaimed. And Paul knows not everybody heard his preaching. That's why he's writing right now. He's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, and this letter can be passed around. Verse 21 says, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him. He certainly was not able to preach to every living person in the city of Ephesus. Right, Pastor? Well, especially, again, to go back to what happens in the book of Acts, when um, they're trying to make their defense, the silversmiths get this riot going, and what the riot is doing is shouting so loud that no one can hear the word that Paul and Alexander and the other Christians are trying to preach. Um, they're, they're shouting out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, um, you know, and, and it, you know, we, we see these sort of things happening even right now in sporting events where people are shouting particular things uh, in an effort to drown out what other things are supposed to be said and talked about. And so that's what's going on. And so when Paul says, whether you heard it or not or believed it, uh, you know, he's maybe making reference to what had happened there where people weren't able to hear because of the protests against Christianity. That is that is really good. Uh, Vicar, at the end of verse 21, when Paul says, as the truth is in Jesus... Is this talking about the truth about this new life, this new walk? Or is this referencing something even bigger, like when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life? How are we to see that phrase at the end of verse 21? Um, I think that we could say both, because ultimately we know that, for example, God's word is true. And uh, like you said, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Um, many times Jesus is also called the word. Uh, we know that, for example, God's word is true. So everything that Jesus says is true. And after that, we have to look at what Jesus actually says. He says things like, uh, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Um, that God loves you and he has prepared a place for you in heaven. Uh, he says things like, God has sent him to be the uh, propitiation for the sins of the entire world. Um, all of these things are truth. This is kind of pointing towards the fact that the word of God is truth. So whenever we're looking for anything to uh, ground us in the faith, we have to go to the word of God. We have to learn about what God is telling us, especially through the person of Jesus. When uh, uh, thanks, Vicar. I think that's I think that's spot on. I think we can look at this in a narrow way in the context of Ephesians four, and we're going to talk about the truth of how this new life comes about. This new life that is gift. This new life that is God's creation because we have a creator God, but it also has a bigger picture because everything about Jesus is truth. 
and we're talking about the incarnation. We're talking about his perfect life. We're talking about his sacrificial uh, atoning death. We're talking about his victory over sin, death, and the grave. We're talking about his triumphant ascension into heaven. We're talking about the Father and the Son sending the spirit of truth into this world. Everything about Jesus, his person, true God and true man, and his work, life, death, resurrection, and really present among us, is truth. Pastor, do you want to add anything to that truth uh, discussion before we get into what I think is the is the climax of this section? Well, I think um, what we should, you know, comparing ourselves again to the Ephesians, what we should take is is that what oftentimes appears to be the truth in this world is not the actual real truth, and that the only real truth comes through Jesus Christ. And so we need to be wary of being distracted by perceived truths or even searching for the truth and finding it for ourselves, knowing that the truth only does come from God and his word. That's good because it brings us back to earlier in the text where it talks about the hardening or the hardness of hearts. Sometimes our hearts are so hard, we are so sure that a truth is a truth that we close our ears, our minds, and our hearts to the real truth of Christ and his word. And it leads us in the wrong walk, it leads us in the wrong path, and we have nothing but futility rather than the fruit that God would have for us in the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation, this new life in Jesus Christ. Now, Verses 22, 23, and 24, we're saving this for our last segment, and uh, it is talking about putting on the old self and putting on the new self. What I want our, our hearers to ponder as we go into our next break is, what is this putting off and putting on, and who does it? We'll be right back, equipping the saints, Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Equipping the Saints, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Goodroad. We are looking at this new walk that we have as Christians under the authority of our teacher, Jesus, who is both teacher and Lord. Ephesians 4, 17 to 24, we want to focus here on verses 22, 23, and 24, the putting off of the old self, and if I, if I remember right, I believe in the Greek, it's literally the old man, and to put on the new man. Uh, the ESV's kind of softened that a little bit, but um, the, the meaning is the same, the old Adam that lives inside of us, putting off and putting on. Vicar, do you want to read verses 22 through 24 to get that fresh in our mind? To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, 
created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, Pastor, when we were on break, you were uh, talking a little bit about that word truth at the end of verse 21, and there's no verses, uh, versification in the Greek text. One thought flows into the next. And uh, the truth that is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. That contrast between truth and deceitful desires. Did I hear that correctly? Yeah. Um, you know, you have these deceitful lusts, um, and they are, in the way that this particular Greek construction is set up, in contrast to the truth in Jesus. And I think there's a really lot we could talk about in that. You could write a really great sermon on this idea that there is a difference between the things that we desire in our heart, which are deceitful and which oftentimes lead to lust and greed and all the things we've been talking about, as opposed to the truth which is in Jesus Christ. Um, when we let Jesus be the truth, then all of a sudden these lusts and things are not things that we have to slave after or follow around or give into. Uh, instead, uh, when the truth is Jesus Christ, we want we are different than we were before. And maybe that's the part of this idea we're talking about also. And uh, I can't control my lusts and deceitful desires. I can't train them uh, like I would a, a mean dog on a leash or anything like that. Uh, if I'm understanding this put off and put on correctly, uh, my lusts and evil desires the deceitfulness of my heart has to die. Isn't that the word picture that's here, Pastor, this putting off and putting on? Uh, yeah, it definitely is, and I think we see this in other places in Scripture as well, where he talks about the putting on and the taking off uh, in that regard. Even um, the uh, mortal must put on immortality, you know, uh, strikes my mind. Is that from First uh, Corinthians 15? Is that right? Or Yes, I believe uh, so. Uh, just doing it off the top of my head, That's so the I don't end know. of the chapter, yes. Um, and, and so... We have these ideas where, yeah, in Jesus we are something entirely new, and I'd say this taking off and putting on takes place in the waters of holy baptism, and even the early church uh, in some of their practices wanted to emphasize this. So when you were a catechumen during the season of Lent, you would wear this really uncomfortable um, wool, uh, dirty, grungy-looking garment uh, as a symbol in the church that you were a catechumen of Christ. And then at the Easter vigil, you would come into the church, you would be stripped naked, baptized, and as you came out of the waters of holy baptism, they would put on a garment that was comfortable and had been bleached white to symbolize that now you belong to Jesus. And so the old was taken off and the new was put on. And I think that that's the same idea we're talking about here as well. And I think, you know, we don't do ourselves a service in not acting similarly in the way we handle baptism. I'm not saying we need to strip naked or whatever, but, you know, it used to be that babies were getting baptized would be brought in wearing a white robe or a white dress, and, and we're kind of getting away from that now a little bit as well. The uh, putting off and putting on as baptismal language, I think, is extremely important. Uh, I'm thinking of Romans 6, where we are connected to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that putting off and that putting on is a death and resurrection word picture, metaphor, simile, whatever you want to look at there. The putting off and the putting on. Before we went into break, I, I threw out the question there, uh, 
who's doing the doing. I think this is not only baptism talk, but this is repentance talk. Part four, Luther's small catechism, dying to sin and rising with Christ as we return to the baptismal font every day. In verse 24, it says, put on the new self, and then we have that word that just, to me, just jumps off the page, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Pastor, is this teaching us in Ephesians 4, 24, that this new self is literally a new creation, that God, by the power of his word, is creating a new person or a new self inside of me? Yes, and I think that uh, even, again, um, our translations are faithful, so don't don't stop reading your Bible, but the way it's constructed, again, in the Greek uh, is that, uh, according to God, created in the righteousness and holiness of the truth. Uh, and so the way we have it here worded is the true righteousness— and holiness, but the the word truth then is at the end. It's the other side of the bracket of the words righteousness and holiness, and it is applying to both of those words: the righteousness of truth and the holiness of truth. And so, again, if if as we talked about just a minute ago, um, desire is the opposite of truth in Christ, then we can see how this truth in Christ is bringing about righteousness and holiness uh, as we are new creations in God. It is again uh, the the foil against which desire and mercy can be compared. And that's really helpful because we spent a lot of time at the end of verse twenty one talking about the truth is in Jesus. And now, if at the culmination of this sentence, we're talking about the being created in the righteousness and holiness of truth, created in the righteousness and holiness of Jesus. That, that makes it very, very clear where the source of righteousness and holiness comes from. It's and, from Jesus. And that being the case, just to point this out then again, because uh, you know our detractors always uh, throw this at us, you see here then that Paul has no problem saying Jesus is God and using uh, the truth is in Jesus and the truth is in God in parallel with each other in the same sentence so that one also then understands who Christ is as well. In uh, verse 23, Pastor, at, uh, it's a very short verse in our English translations. This putting off the new or the old self, which uh, you know is corrupt through these deceitful desires, deceit, deceitful desires being contrasted with the truth that is Christ and is the righteousness and holiness of Christ that He gives to us. Um, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. We don't talk about this much in the church, to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Is this, help me here, is this saying that we should be thinking differently because of this new life that we have in Christ, that the walk under the authority of a new teacher has actually something to say to our brains, to our minds? Is that what's going on here? Um, 
Yes, I'd be very careful, though, here, because here's something that our English doesn't always bring across, is that the word renewed here is in the passive voice, which means the action is being done upon the subject, not the subject doing the action. And so the renewing, then, again, is the work of God, and perhaps we could say um, even the Holy Spirit at work in the Word, who is the one renewing the spirit of our mind. And so it's God doing the doing here, making us a new person. Again, we can talk about the idea of getting dressed or the way that baptism takes place. Um, We can talk about uh, how he's the one who's renewing our mind and putting us under new uh, leadership or new management, however you want to think about it, in this walk that we're on. God's the one doing the doing here in this particular passive voice. Okay, so with uh, with this passive voice and God is the one doing the doing on the person— who used to be a follower, a walker uh, in uh, the old ways, in the futility of their minds, alienated from God, hardness of heart. Now we have a new teacher, and we have a different walk. And God is the one doing this, creating the new life, creating the new self inside of me. Lutherans oftentimes are criticized because they emphasize doctrine too much. And that we should spend more time emphasizing uh, uh, practical matters or lifestyle choices or whatever. Based on this section, Pastor, and, and here, help me out or correct me if I'm looking at this wrong. To pit doctrine against holy living would seem to be going against this section of Scripture here because this new self that God is giving to us and we are the passive recipients of includes both the mind and the lifestyle walk and the things that we do. Am, Am I tracking here or have I missed it? No, they have to go together. I mean, if you have uh, a new uh, teacher, if you have a a new person that you're following, if you have uh, been renewed uh, by the Spirit, uh, by God working in you, if you follow Jesus, that changes all the things that we were talking about before. That's why you're no longer walking as the Gentiles do in darkened understanding and alienated from God. Instead, now you are in God, and you are walking in God, and you are ruled and governed by God, and so you do the things that God desires. And to to summarize that, uh, you know, again, to go back to our Old Testament, uh, we'd say that means we have faith towards God and fervent love towards one another. Uh, we we do things to serve God, and we do things to serve the people around us, and that then defines the good works that we do in our life. Well said, and to, to pit head against heart, to pit doctrine against practice, is, is a false dichotomy. This new life in Christ that God graciously gives us and we are the passive recipients of affects our entire being. It is being renewed in the spirit of our minds. It is changing our heart and our attitudes and our desires so that we sincerely desire to listen to our new teacher and the word that comes from his mouth, the word that is written for us in Holy Scripture, and to put that word into practice as we walk the walk, this new life 
that God has laid out for us. That's exactly where we're going to go now uh, as we continue on in Ephesians chapter 4. In our next episode, we're going to pick up with verse 25, and we're going to get even more specific and direction of what this new walk under the authority of our good teacher, the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, looks like. Oh, thank you. This has been uh, this has been a great, great time as we work our way through Ephesians chapter 4, equipping the saints for Vicar Goodroad and for Pastor Moline. I am Pastor Poppy. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back again soon. God's richest blessings in Christ. <laughs>